Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Logical Christian Podcast. I'm your Logical Christian, Dan Irwin. If you've joined me before, welcome back. If this is your first time here, welcome. At the Logical Christian Podcast, we look at what's going on in the world of current events, politics, science, and whatever the mainstream media feels is important to tell us, but rather than just accepting their spin and swallowing their narrative, we look at it logically, and we look at it as Christians. Links can be found in the show notes if you want to follow along. So with that, let's go be logical Christians. Well, today I wanted to take a break from the normal format and focus on one single topic, a very serious topic. Next episode, I'll be back to the normal format, but hopefully you'll indulge me as I venture out. So no need to prolong it. Here we go. By degree, by profession, by career, I'm an engineer. In fact, I'm the exact same kind of engineer, a mechanical one, or as we in the business call it, the best kind of one, as Bill Nye. Yes, the science guy. In fact, again, he and I earned the same level of degree, a bachelor's. Now, he may have some honorary degrees, I don't know, I frankly don't care, and those are fine, I don't really count them. So, for all intents and purposes, if he's a science guy, then so am I. So, I'm an engineer and a science guy. But in reality, I would probably call myself more of a logician than anything else. No, not, not a magician, a logician, right? logic, right? It's, it's not that I have some innate mechanical ability to be a mechanical engineer. I mean, I, mean, I, pr- I probably have more mechanical aptitude than other people, but... Oh man, you should have seen me perform a mechanical aptitude test on one of the interviews I took getting out of college. You had time to study a little machine and then you left the room. They broke the machine and then you had to come back in and figure out how they broke it and fix it. Let's just say I figured it out and there is no need to bring a clock into things, all right? I didn't get that job, by the way. But although I may have taken slightly, slightly longer to figure this out than other people, I did figure it out. And that's been more of my strength than anything, the ability to analyze and figure things out. So although I'm far from an expert in every, or possibly any, field, I've been blessed with the ability to figure things out, to learn quickly, to research trails of information. So that brings us to our topic. You may have heard that currently there's a a slight disagreement between two sides on the topic of abortion. I know, I know. This has been pretty low-key, right? Both sides respecting the opinions of the others, both just wanting the right thing to be done to keep abortion safe, legal, and rare. Well, not rare, really. At least not rare anymore, despite the fact that that's one of the three bullet points, can I say bullet, that Roe versus Wade is built on. Okay, so no, this is getting dangerous. With the strategic leak most likely done, although this is speculation, to try to get the leftist horde to threaten, bully, and frighten at least one justice to flip his or her vote, as this will in all likelihood be decided 5-4, as the (laughs) conservative, big quotes around that one, Justice Roberts either has uh, some picture out there that he doesn't want to be made public, or... He's just too weak to rule based on the Constitution, you know, opting instead to rule based on fear of the mob instead. I don't know. With that being said, there's a lot of information, 
eh, misinformation, well, lies that are being spread around like butter on a hot, thick slice of homemade bread right out of the oven. <laughs> oh, yeah. The lies are coming from the top, from the politicians, from the media personalities, and then they are trumpeted and repeated by all the little leftist minions without them giving it a second thought as to if it's even true or not. We're in a point in our history where thinking, researching, learning first, then speaking or typing isn't really in vogue anymore. So I thought I'd break from the normal tradition of headline and just give you a primer, if you will, a baseline of information to work with. If you run up against anybody in your day-to-day -day life that is going apoplectic over the banning of abortion, maybe this will help. Now, let me throw in a couple caveats here before we start. First, I do not recommend that you seek out arguments either in person or online. If you want to, that's up to you. But, but just know this, you'll more than likely be one person against a pack of rabid dogs. I don't really get into many debates online anymore. Oh, oh man, and I used to. Let me tell you, it's pointless, all right? But still, it's good to have this information, just in case. Second, double-check my work, especially if anything I say sounds off. And if you find something, let me know if I've missed it. I'm not infallible. I know, I know. You're shocked. Close your mouth. You look silly. I'm not infallible. This is not my field of expertise. And I actually, I have a personal life outside of this podcast, so I can't research everything, you know, to the nth degree. So it's possible I've got something wrong. I think I'm either right or very close on everything, but you never know. Oh, and in case you're concerned, I'm not going to go into how abortions are performed, how many weeks until heartbeats or pain can occur or anything like that. If you want to know that, you can look it up if you'd like. I, I do know a good amount of that. I'm just not going to put it here. This is going to be some basic facts and, and some of the counterpoints that I've recently had presented to me to, uh, you know, try to shut me down. So far, they, they failed. So without further ado, I present to you abortion, a primer. So what is abortion? Abortion is quite simply intentionally ending a pregnancy in progress. This is, in all cases, killing a baby at some point during its development. This can be done physically through chemicals or drugs, but regardless of how it's done, when it's done, from conception on, it is quite literally ending a unique life. Note that I'm just giving you a basic fact here. I'll tackle the big three, rape, incest, and life of the mother. Those are the big three. I'll tackle those in a bit. Some various terms are used to try to turn the topic from life to, uh, I don't know, a science fair project. These are used to simply dehumanize the human in order to justify the killing. The terms I've heard, and, and you're likely going to hear if you haven't already, at least some of them are, first, zygote. I've had one individual arguing that a zygote is not a human, so no big deal. Okay, well, in layman's terms, a zygote is simply a fertilized egg. Uh, the champion swimmer knocked on the door first and said, uh, candy gram. And the unsuspecting egg opened the door, and boom, it was not a candy gram, it was a spermie, and now that egg is fertilized. 
The result is that the DNA has now combined and a unique DNA has resulted with all the information needed in order to create and form a new human. This stage lasts only for a few days, about four. So I guess the morning after pill could potentially be aborting a zygote to use the technical term, but what's being aborted is a unique human per the unique DNA. Blastocyst is the next one. This was one that someone argued with me the other day. She commented on a post I made, and she said this, quote, A blastocyst is not a child. Technically, it is a parasite. If something has to live off my body to live, it has to be up to me, or I am a slave. You'll have to excuse their rage grammar. I'll tackle parasite and slave... Uh, forthcoming. A blastocyst is simply the scientific term for the approximately five days it takes for the fertilized egg to travel to the uterus and implant on the wall. This stage ends on day nine. So in nine days, we've moved past the zygote and the blastocyst stages. Although not recognizable as a baby, still a unique human with all the genetic information that will form it into that human. Clump of cells. I know you've heard this one. This is one of my favorite. It's just a clump of cells. Okay, well, you're just a clump of cells also. Does that make you less than human? Can I kill you? They can only be saying one of two things, and one of them is disingenuous. The other is insane. The insane idea is that since it's just a clump of cells, we neither know what it is now, nor do we know what it will become. Okay, well, my argument against this is that if they can show me one documented case where, say, a blender, a Ford, a mongoose, or any other thing other than a human baby came down the chute after nine months, then I'll concede it's an amorphous blob of cells. So far, no takers. The disingenuous argument is that it doesn't look like a recognizable human. Well, that just goes back to what I've stated, right? And and there are babies that do to a glitch in the formation come out disfigured. There are people that have had accidents that have left them horribly disfigured. Are they not human because they don't fit the template? The question is not what it appears to be now. The question is, what is it? What is it becoming? If the answer is anything other than a human, they're lying or, or they're stupid. Fetus. This is another one of my favorites because the thought process is that by using the term fetus, it shows that it's not a human. What none of them seem to understand is that fetus is simply a Latin term for offspring. Offspring, by definition, is a child of parents, you know, created by parents. And it's going to be the same thing as the parents. So a, a human fetus is a human child and an offspring of the human parents. Finally, parasite. This is one I've had a number of people argue. It, it's actually kind of a fun one because when they use it, they destroy some of their own arguments. They say that it's a parasite because it requires the host in order to live. Well, by definition, a parasite does require the host to live, but in nearly all cases, it causes harm to the host. In a normal pregnancy, the baby does not cause harm. By definition, a baby is not a parasite. However, if they want to argue that, then they are no longer allowed to argue it's the woman's body, as you cannot be a parasite on yourself. A parasite, again by definition, is a unique being. 
And since we know that this unique being is coded to create a human being, it's a unique human. So now the woman has no right to end the life of a unique human, regardless of its location. I had one particularly vile, evil woman from Australia argue that this is absolutely a parasitic relationship, a symbiotic parasitism relationship, in fact. And then she called me an ignoramus, which, I mean, okay, whatever. I say that she was a vile woman because she literally stated that we could argue the humanity of a human with severe mental defects because, you know, the ingredients for the cake weren't mixed right. This is just the crumbs. I had a few choice words for her. Maybe I shouldn't have, but that one struck a real chord with me. Like, like I said, she was an evil, vile woman. You could just hear it dripping out of what she typed. Anyway, that being said, I did actually love the fact that she called this a symbiotic relationship as, yeah, if you ask just about any mother out there, that's exactly what this is. In a symbiotic relationship, both parties, generally viewed as a parasite and a host, actually benefit from each other. The so-called parasite requires the host to live, and the host benefits from the parasite. So I pointed out to her that by her definition, she's admitting that the baby and the mother are two unique beings. By the scientific fact that each contains their own unique DNA, they're both human. And the baby, you know, the parasite, absolutely requires the mother, the host, to live. But any good mother will tell you that during that pregnancy, she absolutely benefits from the baby. It's not always easy, not always comfortable, but any mother will readily admit that the process was amazing, which is why so many women have multiple babies. You know, don't get upset at the parasite argument. Embrace that argument. It's a fantastic argument to shut them down. Moving on, the argument of it's the woman's choice is brought up a lot. But is it? From what we've already just discussed in the last few minutes, you know, unique DNA, unique being, coded to form a human child, should it be the woman's choice to abort or to kill this child? I would say that knowing what we know, she should no more have the choice to murder someone in her way in line at Walmart, which... Nearly all of us had had those kind of thoughts, and we don't do it for many belief and or legal reasons. She has no more right to do that than she does to murder a human that she perceives to be in her way that's inside of her. So what about ending an ectopic pregnancy? I had that question asked to me. They claimed that I just wanted the woman to die. Force the woman to die. So the reality, an ectopic pregnancy, from what I've searched, and like I said, I'm not a not an expert on this, it's generally discovered and terminated in about the first five to six weeks of pregnancy. This is still killing a child. Uh, there's no bones about that. However, this child, due to a glitch, and for Christians, we know that this is a result of the damage sin has done to all aspects of the world. Due to this glitch, the child was in all actuality already given a death sentence. An ectopic pregnancy always ends with the aborting or miscarriage of the child. The child will always die. Additionally, and I don't know if this is in all cases, I would guess it is, but if a mother left that condition as is, the chances of the mother dying are, are very high, are definite, I'm not sure, but they got to be at least very high. Also, I feel comfortable saying that in nearly all cases, an ectopic pregnancy is discovered in mothers that actually want to have a baby. 
So in a case like this, aborting that child is the only reasonable scenario, as sad as that might be, and the woman should not feel any guilt or shame from this. This was out of her hands. And because of medical advancements, that woman can now have another chance to have a child or children, which is fantastic. I also had that same vile Australian woman argue something about, I don't know, essentially test tube fertilization and in vitro fertilization. I really didn't bother responding to that as that's not the issue at hand. However, there are two camps as to freezing embryos and the process of implanting multiple fertilized eggs in vitro and et cetera, et cetera, whatever other methods exist, you know, to help couples in getting pregnant. I don't know that I could take a stance on this right now. I, I probably just don't know enough about it. I think that the couples are doing this process for the right reasons. They're trying to have a baby. We have no idea in normal processes how many fertilized eggs don't attach and are expelled right now, right, as part of just natural human processes. So I don't know that we could come down very hard on people that are trying to use medical science of which the knowledge has been granted by a sovereign God to try to have a baby. It's not like they're fertilizing eggs so they can smash the test tubes on the ground and dance around it in some sort of deranged ritual or anything. They're, they're trying to have a baby. What about rape, incest, and life of the mother? Okay, so we've discussed ectopic pregnancies, which is a subset of life of the mother. And that one is a definite. The baby is going to die. The mother will most likely die. That one is one that we need to deal with, right? Regarding other potential life of the mother cases, I think they'd have to be looked at individually. And I know that some couples opt to take the chance. Others do not. I'd have a hard time arguing with them. It's a choice I've never had to make. It's still ending the life of the baby. Let's be clear. But beyond that, I can't make that call. Fortunately, that's only about 1% of all abortions in the U.S. As for rape and incest, the other two in the big three that are paraded out there by pro-baby murderers, those two account for less than 1%, closer to one half of a percent. And if you require that they report the attack and attacker, that rate drops even further. So all combined, excluding ectopic pregnancies, let's just say about one to maybe one and a half percent of all abortions per year in the U.S. are from the big three. And we currently abort about 600,000 babies every year. Let that sink in. Over a half a million babies murdered every year. And more than 590,000 of them are done for convenience, more or less. Although I'd like to see zero abortions, if we had to take a step and concede the big three, I would be okay right now with eliminating over 98% of all abortions every year. That would be a great first step. Specifically regarding the rape or incest argument, again, I can't imagine the pain, the shame, the turmoil experienced by that woman or that girl. The left argues that by forcing the woman to carry the child, we just add to the pain. I argue, as do many others, that the pain isn't going to go away with the removal of the child. The child didn't do anything. The child is a result. The attacker performed the act, and the attacker should be prosecuted. And personally, I have no problem with the death penalty for this. And Mosaic Law would back me up on that. In fact, the left tries to make the accusation that by not allowing abortion, we're just protecting the attacker. But that attacker doesn't want or care about the baby. They just wanted their own gratification. As I said, make the penalty for rape and incest death. That'll probably deter a few. But the left doesn't believe in the death penalty. So now who's protecting who here? 
As for the baby, it can be kept, it can be put up for adoption, but at least the mother, who already has the pain of the attack to deal with, doesn't have the guilt of realizing they killed a child that is also their child. The pro-aborts seem to think that by removing the evidence, problem solved. But that doesn't solve the attack. It just adds to the guilt of an already emotionally compromised woman. That line of reasoning is far from loving or caring, as they claim. And then we get into the Roe versus Wade controversy. That's what the big thing is right now. The main argument, or as I like to call it, lie, that the pro-aborts, which is half of our politicians and most of our media, the main lie that they're telling is that overturning Roe will ban abortion. Well, this isn't even close to true. In fact, all overturning Roe would do is push the issue back to the states to decide. So each state, as it should be, will have the option to legalize or ban abortion or anything in between. And, and it gives them the right to decide the parameters. So if a state wants to outright ban abortion, the worst case for a woman that's hell-bent on murdering her child is that maybe she'd have to travel to a neighboring state. As of right now, the states that would legalize abortion and the states that would put any level of ban or ban after so many weeks, it's split about 50-50. In fact, for those that are the most adamant on the right to kill children, far-left states like California, New York, they'll likely make it legal to perform post-birth abortions. It'll start with uh, yeah, a few weeks after birth. It'll morph into likely a few years after birth. So, you know, a year down the road, mom and dad are just tired and the baby just needs everything. Well, they'll be able to humanely put it down. You know, like a pet. No big deal. Be prepared for this with an overturning of Roe. That is absolutely coming. They'll argue that Roe is constitutional, which, no, it's not. It's not coded into the Constitution, and we've gotten into the habit of claiming constitutionality for everything. We have a couple favorite clauses that we like to use, and then wildly take the intended purpose of the writing way out of context. I mean, even the notorious RGB knew that Roe had a very flimsy constitutional argument. Well, then they'll move to the fact that Roe is precedent. Well, all that means is that a court ruled it legal, and based on the challenges brought against it thus far, it's been able to stand the test. That, however, doesn't make it right. The best argument that you've likely already heard against precedent is that slavery was also precedent. And it was, but it was wrong. And it was finally corrected. Precedent doesn't make it law. Precedent doesn't make it right. It just makes it strong enough to withstand the very specific legal challenges it's faced to date. And it appears that Roe has finally come up against a challenge that it won't prevail against. So women are just being forced to carry the child then, I guess. Forced to birth the child. This is slavery. Well, okay. To the first part. Being forced to carry the child. Yeah. Not forced to get pregnant. We already covered rape earlier, okay? Forced to now accept the consequences for her actions. You know, putting it in somewhat of a crass way. We all know that sex can lead to pregnancy. We all know that contraception isn't 100%. There's always a chance. We all know that whatever method or tricks you have to not get pregnant while having unprotected sex aren't foolproof. You're usually the fool for thinking you can juke the system. 
When you make the choice to hop into bed or car or bar bathroom or wherever you want to hook up, as, as one TikToker said, if she can't get an abortion, she's just not going to hook up with any more half-drunk, mediocre rando guys anymore. Okay, okay. that's what I'm talking about here. 98% or more of abortions are done because sex was wanted, consequences weren't. So out of convenience, we'll just dispose of this thing. The states that would ban abortion are simply saying, hey, this is a living human. You made your choice having sex. That was your choice. Now it's time to woman up and accept the consequences. It sounds harsh, but that's because we've been so coddled that nobody thinks they're required to take responsibility for their actions anymore. This is what dismantles the slavery argument as well. Slaves were forced into slavery. You literally put yourself in this position. You volunteered. You may not be happy with what you volunteered for, but you volunteered. Remember, the overturning of Roe doesn't force anyone to have a baby. It may force a woman to scoot over to the next state. But I mean, if you really want to kill a baby, I'm sure you can find a way to get over there. So as I was told in one debate, if women are forced to have the baby, men should be forced to take responsibility for the baby too. Yeah, I'm in total agreement here. Now one could argue that maybe the woman exercise a little more discretion other than, you know, a rando, mediocre, half-drunk guy at the bar to be your baby daddy. But in general, we have a real man problem. Men aren't being men because they're not being taught how to be men. Lifting heavy things, fixing or building things, having a deep voice, that doesn't make a man. Protecting, taking responsibility, leading, loving, teaching, those are things that make up a man. Too many of them are gaming, playing, screwing, acting like children, because that's what everything and everyone is telling them that they're supposed to do. Now, to the point that men should be forced to take responsibility, practically, in some cases, that would be outright dangerous, okay? It would be better if that piece of garbage was long gone. But in theory, yes, totally agree. They absolutely should. The best option, and I call me crazy here, would be to abstain until marriage. Now, that doesn't guarantee anything these days, but it's a much better chance of both parties taking responsibility, a much better chance than, you know, just, just hooking up. Regardless of whether the man is there or not, this still doesn't justify murdering the child. Let's be clear. Now, one of the best quick arguments against abortion is the sled argument. I've mentioned it multiple times, uh, past episodes, and the, the link will be in the notes again. In brief, sled, S-L-E-D, S stands for size. Just because the human is small doesn't make it less human. A little person is no less human than a regular-sized person. A toddler is no less human. Why should a tiny forming baby be considered less human because they're small? L, level of development. Everyone is at a different level of development. Unless you're like my evil Australian friend who curiously still hasn't responded to my response, which should have been easy as I was a, quote, naive ignoramus. Those with mental disabilities are still human. Those that are younger and no less are still just as human. Those that are in the depths of dementia, still just as human. L, level of development. E, environment. If the baby is a human baby one second after it's born, what is it one second before it's born? About one minute before. One week before? When does it change from not a human to a human? And how do you know? 
Additionally, people exist in all sorts of environments. Those on the International Space Station, still human. Sailors in submarines for months on end, <laughs> oddly enough, still human. People sick in the hospital, still human. Huh. And D, degree of dependency. Just because a baby inside the mother requires her to live doesn't make it less human. That baby for years outside of the mother still requires someone in order to live. If left alone, it dies, but it's still human. People in comas, people on various medical devices, people with pacemakers, people that require certain drugs, people in assisted living or nursing homes, all human. Just because you rely on someone, it doesn't make you less human. SLED, S size, L level of development, E environment, D degree of dependency. And there you have it, a primer, a beginning guide, an abortion for dummies, whatever you want to call it. And I could probably continue on ad nauseum, but I don't like feeling nauseous, so I won't do that. Now look, the Bible is very clear. All humans are image bearers of God. As God is spirit, this doesn't mean physical form. This means his imprint is on them. The ability to think, reason, choose, feel emotions, things like that. The attributes of God are, in large part and in much lesser ways, attributes of man. Since physical form has nothing to do with it, that means from the point of conception, that forming child is made in the image of its creator. One of my favorite passages is Psalm 139, 13 through 16 specifically, regarding our topic. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Now, I know this is poetry, but we can glean from this that God forms. He knows. He loves every one of his image bearers because they are his image bearers. We see the same care in Genesis 1, the creation of man. After God spoke everything into existence, let there be, and there was, all the stars, all the vegetation, all the fish, birds, animals, the account implies God slowed down spoke amongst himself as the Trinity and said, quote, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then in chapter 2, we get a few more details. Quote, then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. See, God commanded everything into existence until he got to man. He formed him. I picture this figuratively as God actually got down in the dirt and formed man with his own two anthropomorphic hands. However God did it, it was very personal the same type of personal care that David wrote about. And then he showed different, but the same care, the same hands-on work, making woman. Quote, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. 
Skipping ahead to chapter 4 of Genesis, we see the first murder. The sin of Adam and Eve, in fairly short order, and we don't know exactly how long, has now taken hold, and man will now kill man. From a heart of jealousy and pride, Cain kills Abel. It appears a short while after Cain did this, as from the text, it doesn't imply immediately after, since God doesn't reference the body of a dead Abel on the ground next to Cain or anything like that. It sounds like Cain, at the very least, had fled the scene. Regardless, God speaks to Cain, quote, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know him. I'm my brother's keeper. And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Can we even fathom what the ground is crying out today? We can talk wars, famines. We can talk six million Jews killed during World War II. We can talk an estimated 100 million people killed so far under communism. But 63 and a half million babies, innocent babies, have been slaughtered in the last just about 50 years what is the ground crying out now from all of that blood? A few books into the Bible, Leviticus 20, we learn about the idol, the god Molech, which is like all idols. It's, it's satanic to its core. God speaks to Moses, quote, Say to the people of Israel, Any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who gives any of his children to Molech, shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech and do not put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Molech. Molech, and this is quoted from a gotquestions.com article, was, quote, a god of the Ammonites. Molech worship was practiced by the Ammonites and Canaanites who revered Molech as a protecting father figure. Images of Molech were made of bronze and their outstretched arms were heated red hot. Living children were then placed into the idol's hands and died there or were rolled into a fire pit below. Some sources indicate a child might also be passed through the fire prior to the actual sacrifice in order to purify or baptize the child. Molech worship occurred in the Hinnom Valley near Jerusalem. Because of this, the valley became associated with the idea of Tophet or hell. See, God wasn't playing around with this child sacrifice thing. We may not be placing our babies on some idol's arms to burn them to death, but is what we're doing any less barbaric? Will God hold us any less accountable? And ignorance is no excuse. If you don't understand what you're doing with all the resources available to us today, the burden's on you. So what do we do? And this is beyond, you know, just the fervent prayer that we should be doing, of course. Well, we have two things we can do right now. First, it's election season. The primaries are upon us, and the elections will soon be here. I have no problem with saying that we, as Christians, have every right, and I think duty, to be a one-issue voter on this. You tell me one more important topic than saving lives of babies. I know, not all conservatives agree with this, and I, and I know that not all Christians agree with this, but if abortion is murder of unborn children, then the economy, the border, 
vaccine mandates, schools, nothing else. And and this is hard to say is all of those are of vital importance as well, but nothing else is as critical as standing up for the life of unborn image bearers of God. Fortunately, the candidates that are generally pro-life generally have their act together on the other issues as well. And I've posted this comment before, and I know this is a confrontational statement, but I truly believe this. If you're claiming to be a born-again Christian and you vote for someone that is pro-abortion, pro-baby murder, for whatever reason, I don't believe that both of those things can be true at the same time. I don't believe a pro-life stance is a prerequisite for salvation, but I don't believe that a pro-abortion stance can exist after salvation. I know not everyone will agree, and I admit that I may have an incorrect view, but the premise stands. Make sure of where you are and who you are before you cast that vote. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, quote, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. And think about that before you walk into the polls. Second, we can support groups that are truly fighting this barbaric sacrifice of unborn children. I've mentioned them a number of times, but an organization I support is called Preborn Ministries. Link to their site is in the notes. They have clinics that provide pregnant individuals, typically those that are contemplating abortion, with ultrasounds to show them it's not a zygote. It's not a cystoblast. It's not a clump of cells. It's a baby. There's a baby in there. I couldn't find their 2021 annual statement. I don't think it's officially published yet. I saw the numbers. I I can't recall them offhand, but I know they're higher than what I'm finding here for 2020. And in 2020, they stopped over 31,000 abortions. And while they're doing this, they present the gospel to people who desperately need Jesus. In 2020, they recorded 6,500 commitments to Christ. Now, not saying you have to donate any set amount, but the way they present what your donation does is that $28 pays for one ultrasound. Now, personally, I donate a small monthly amount, and I have them listed as my charity for Amazon Smile. So nearly every purchase I make, a small donation goes to them. I would highly recommend them. But if not them, find a charity that you can donate to or volunteer at or whatever. Help fight this barbarism. So I know that this was a break from my normal format, but I thought that with the insanity in the country right now, if I can help even a few people with talking points, with answers to questions, with encouragement for voting in the upcoming elections, that's well worth it. And there's the music, so I'll wrap this up. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. And with that, we've reached the end of this episode of the Logical Christian Podcast. If you've made it this far, the odds are you liked what you heard. I'd greatly appreciate a like, a comment, and a review if you're so inclined. As you likely already know, it all helps with the algorithms. Don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified whenever a new episode drops. And finally, if you found this podcast useful or entertaining, share it with your friends, your enemies, your in-laws, your outlaws. If you want to reach me, you can do so at lcpodcast at outlook.com or increasingly I'll be using at lcpodcast on Getter. Lawrence J. Peter said, Against logic there is no armor like ignorance. But Jesus told us that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So stay in the word, stay logical, stay faithful, and until next time, God bless.